With a book and a steeple and a bell and a key, they would bind it forever, but they can't, said he. Oh, the book, it will perish, and the steeple will fall, but the light will be shining at the end of it all. Walk in the light, wherever you may be. Walk in the light, wherever you may be. In my old leather breeches and my shaggy, shaggy locks, I am walking in the glory of the light, said Fox. Welcome to the These Days Podcast. This is Ben and Dwayne here. Hello, everybody. Uh, Ben's here in his shaggy uh, blanket. Shaggy, uh, shaggy locks over here. Here in the uh, Spare Oom Studios. And um, just want to invite you to, uh, uh, if you're listening and you enjoy what you hear, uh, go on uh, Instagram at uh, We'll Be Going Now with an apostrophe. Uh, That's at We'll Be Going Now with uh, with no apostrophe. And I uh, encourage you to spread it around to some friends. I just yes. had a uh, class last week, Ben. Yeah, and you told and, them and about And I told them about it. Great. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if we'll get any listeners, but... Did you... Uh, was it required listening? Uh, no. No, <laughs> that would have been <laughs> rather duplicitous. I didn't want to do that. Uh, anyway, that sounds like a very interesting uh, poem or uh, sort of a little ditty there. A little ditty. Yeah, little you might ditty. call it a little yeah, ditty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, sure. Well, um, you can also find us on Patreon.com, by the way. Patreon.com slash we'll be going now. <laughs> and you. and uh, um, before we get to any ditties, let's ditty. just remember well, that. This is the era can, of ditties, man. Yes, they used you, to say ditty. You can, res- you, can, uh, you can support us on Patreon. And um, if you like what you hear, it's a great way to keep the thing going. If you don't like what you hear, it's probably because we don't have enough support. And we oh, just oh. need you. We need your help. So <laughs> go ahead and um, pop on uh, the Patreon.com and support us. You can get access to special episodes that um, only members get to hear and um, some special these days swag. With that all said, yeah. let's talk about some shaggy, shaggy locks, shall yeah. we? Yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk about George Fox, or as some people in this room like to say, GF and GF the Q's. The Q's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Very uh, well. I come from hipster Portland, Ben. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I I texted you a couple weeks back and said I think I'm going to do George Fox and the Quakers for a uh, episode yeah. of these days podcast, and you responded to something else I had said, and then said, and that sounds good about GF and the Q's. Yeah. So um, it's my hip shorthand. So I thought I'll bet you all these new AI art generators could make me a Quaker band. <laughs> With yeah. George Fox as the lead singer, uh, called GF and the Q. So I typed that into a, a AI art generator and sent you an image back of the Quaker uh, 1600s band, yeah. GF and the Q's. Yeah. And I think that image might even appear on our Instagram or our album or our episode artwork. So yeah. check that out. Well, you are are you going to put it like, like maybe on the 
like on the Spotify uh, podcast where you can. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it makes an appearance in that uh, yeah, in that yeah. uh, podcast artwork. So keep an eye out for that. Um, but uh, regardless of our antics at the These Days podcast, uh, George Fox, highly influential figure in the history of Christianity and also the person after which my employer is named, mm-hmm. uh, um, my the university that I work at, and... Um, it uh, it it was just fascinating to, to me to think about uh, some of the to really kind of start to look up some of the history of really what happened in the 1600s when George Fox was around and why he had such a big influence and why Quakerism, which he founded, had such a big influence um, not only in England but all the way around the globe. Mm-hmm. So um, George Fox was born in 1624 in Drayton on Clay, or what's now called Fanny Drayton. Um, and he's the son of a weaver, um, and his family was quite religious and quite devout. In fact, his father, uh, whose name was Christopher, was referred to by neighbors as Righteous Christer. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, uh, because his name was Christopher, and he was a righteous man, so he was Righteous Christer. Uh, okay. Was that a, was that a uh, sort of a lovable term or was I think that so like, I, I think time. it was lovable like he's a good man but yeah. um I also um don't necessarily want anyone calling me righteous Christer so uh, I'm not really sure <laughs> oh, are you a little nervous sir? yeah no okay. I'm, no not exactly um yeah so and then he li- he he lived until about uh 1691 maybe 1690 we're not really sure but um that whole period of his life was a time of intense political and religious upheaval. Mm-hmm. Think about the gunpowder plot, you know, Guy Fox night, mm-hmm. and when when the, the Catholic uh, rebels tried to blow up Parliament and the and the king all at once. Yeah. Um, and that was in nineteen oh or sorry sixteen oh five. So not long after that, George Fox appears on the scene, um, and. Ever since the gunpowder plot, there's all these other uh, religious and political wars. So the English civil wars, which are primarily between royalists and parliamentarians, are some are happening between um, 1642 and 1651. So uh, all during George Fox's life, it's just war and violence and politics and upheaval. Mm. Um, in 1633. Uh, and onwards throughout George Fox's life, James II was on the throne, which is England's last Catholic king. So England had gone officially Protestant, and then they had this Catholic king, and there was all this back and forth fighting. So you, you just get this sense of uh, intense political infighting, but also it's it's like religiously motivated. Seems like there was a lot of that going around those days. I think so. So in that kind of chaos... Um, it becomes the age of religious dissenters. And the dissenters were people who dissented from the official religious position of the English um, monarchy and uh, English church. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so England becomes Protestant um, officially in the 1530s with King Henry VIII. But even that wasn't super clear cut. It was basically still a Catholic church, but the but the king was putting himself in the place of the pope. And oh, a lot yeah. of the bishops and priests were still Catholics. But then, is that where this started? That the the queen or the king of the country is the head of the church, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, then um, uh, Thomas Cromwell uh, begins all these uh, reforms um, that are going to uh, kind of really 
Protestantize things because because Thomas Cromwell is a Protestant, so he starts these uh, encouraging the king to create these um, rules where Catholics could get killed or persecuted for mm. their beliefs or for for yeah. harboring priests. Uh, Thomas Cromwell is the one that does the dissolution of the monasteries, which is a pretty violent yeah. uh, overthrow of the monastic orders. Mm-hmm. So in this context, the dissenters are looking around, going, "The English Protestants are almost." are worse than the Catholics were, mm. uh, or at least the you know the early days of that kind of movement. So the dissenters start um, talking about a different way to follow Jesus, mm-hmm. um, and they include groups like the Puritans mm. and the Anabaptists uh-huh. and the Baptists and uh-huh. a lot of others like the Brownie or the Brownists and the Diggers, uh, all these different groups that had different versions of what it meant to follow Jesus. The Brownies and the Diggers? <laughs> yeah, the Brownies. That's it. <laughs> Got it. And the Boy Scouts. The Brownies and the Boy Scouts. Okay. Okay. No, uh, um, all kinds of different groups are proliferating around. It's like um, the begin. It's the explosion of denominations, kind of right off the bat. But at this point, anyone who's not the Church of England is considered a dissenter, mm-hmm. so they're dissenting from the official position. Uh, so in this age of religious chaos, George Fox is growing up, and from a very young age, he had a very contemplative bent. People often noticed that he was um, not. Uh, carousing in the same way that other young men around him were. He was not, um, uh, even as a small child, he was not as rowdy as other boys. He was very contemplative. And he often discussed, uh, like referred to receiving words from some kind of inner voice. He would call it my inner voice. Hmm. And um, so so he's he's got this sort of religious constitution, and um, he's from a middle-class family, so he has some kind of prospects. You know, his father's a weaver. So he gets apprenticed to a shoemaker, and by all accounts, he's really good at this because he's quiet, he's diligent. And as he's making these shoes, um, all his biographers will say that he, he really dives into his inner life because he's praying, and he's alone, and he's got quiet space on his sort hands. Sort of like Brother Lawrence almost. Yeah, and so he's just sort of like having this inner formation with God. God. By the time he's 19, he becomes really quite appalled by the behavior of many uh, what were called professors, mm-hmm. which are people who profess the, the official Church of England faith, but mm-hmm. live uh, pretty contrary to that faith. Yeah. So um, one day, he his friends are um, they have a, they're having basically a drinking contest, and George Fox walks away and is just walking on this fair praying. And he hears his inner voice that he's been, you know, hearing since he was a young boy. He hears this inner voice saying, Thou seest how young people go together into vanity, and old people into the earth. Thou must forsake all. Young and old, keep out of it all, and be as a stranger unto all. So he senses this call in his life to be different, to sort of not go the way of the crowds. And at that point, around 19, 20 years old, he begins kind of to wander and kind of the, you get the vibe of like, you know, the shaggy, shaggy locks wandering around the country, kind of angsty, kind of like a student on his gap year or something. Like, <laughs> I don't want to go to college yet, mom. <laughs> uh, uh, and he's wandering around um, near London. Uh, he encounters encampments of Civil War troops. So he kind of gets the war up close and personal for a bit. Hmm. Um, he was tormented by depression and confusion. Like, what am I supposed to do about what I'm noticing? Am I the problem? Am I just being too judgmental? But also, like, how do I change anything? Can I change anything? How, what is the way God has for me in this crazy, chaotic, religious world that we're living in? His depression and confusion were such that sometimes on his travels, he would lock himself in his room for days at a time. Huh. And finally, 
he returns home to Drayton, and he begins having long philosophical talks and debates with the local priest, some, a guy that he knew from childhood. Mm-hmm. And he would just have long, long, long debates and, and arguments and conversations. And they didn't agree on everything, but they seemed to have respected each other a good deal. Um, at this point, he becomes pretty obsessed by the Bible and begins mm-hmm. traveling around the country looking for spiritually like-minded people. And so you would think, well, he's going to lean in towards these dissenters, right, who are dissenting from the popular view of the English church. Yeah. But even among the dissenters, he's having trouble connecting. One group <laughs> one group cuts ties with him because he, may, he like, insists that women have souls. Oh, which really? apparently, oh apparently was a revolutionary belief at the wow. time. Uh, and a lot of his beliefs that are evolving are about egalitarianism. Like, um, all people can hear from God. Women can hear from God. Um, there are no people who are less than other people. These sorts of things. And that, right? was, uh, that was his radical yeah. de- belief. That was one that of point. them, yeah. Wow. So he, he has, it, it doesn't appear... There doesn't appear to be any evidence that he wants to start a new religious movement or tradition, Mm -hmm. but he does develop some clear doctrines and start teaching some really specific things. Uh. And among these, there are a few pretty famous ones. So he says that God lives in the hearts of the faithful and not in church buildings. So that's that's not too radical, but it's a little radical. You know, other, other dissenting groups agreed with that. Yeah. And then he says that the only qualification for ministry is the Holy Spirit. You don't need a degree. At the time, the only place you could get ordained was Oxford or Cambridge. And he says you don't need a degree from those places. Yeah. Those places are really just for their, their power centers where the rich send their, their boys to go get ordained. Huh. He says... Um, and some of that was true, right? It, some of that was yeah. true. He says the only qualification for ministry is the Holy Spirit. So this is where you get um, the Quaker church today or the Friends church today... Uh, they talk about released ministers, and what that mm-hmm. basically means is this is the person who is cur- from the congregation who is currently released to be the pastor and administrator of the congregation. Okay, but you also have that concept of open worship, where anybody can stand up and deliver a word from God. Hmm. So uh, he also had this, um, this. This was pretty radical. This belief that rituals and sacraments are not necessary for salvation or spiritual health. So basically, huh. you don't need to do communion, baptism. To this day, Quakers talk about freedom uh, from the sacraments, but also freedom to engage in the sacraments. Was, was he against baptism and uh, not no altogether? He was against he was against the sacraments and the rituals uh, uh, being preached as necessary uh, or as requirements, particularly for salvation. Yeah, but also even for spiritual health. I mean, he believed a person could be perfectly spiritually healthy without baptism or communion or any of those yeah, sorts like of things. The sanctification side of salvation. Yeah, yeah. but but like uh, it, he wouldn't say that anyone is less well off if they never got baptized. Hmm. That's that's. But but he also would say, feel free to get baptized if you want. Yeah. So it was just okay. sort of this this they're not necessary for spiritual health and salvation. All right. He also believed that the this is a very key one. So is, he, the, is he digging the stuff out of the Bible because a lot of a lot of it, yeah. Pretty yeah. Yep. So he's he's using the Bible to support his beliefs because he's he's finding these things in scripture because he's reading it for himself. But this is this is kind of uh maybe one of the keys to how Quakerism developed over the centuries. He's his one of his beliefs is that the Bible the Bible's super important, mm-hmm. essential. But because God lives in the hearts of his people, his followers can follow their own inner voice like he did mm. and only rely on uh, and not only rely on scripture or the teaching of the clergy. Mm. So he's mm. saying that the that the authority of the inner voice and the authority of scripture are uh, at least equal 
and that uh, even if you don't read a lot of the scripture, you still have this inner voice of the spirit. Mm. So, uh, so he's he's basically um, he's saying that uh, that the while the Bible matters and the Bible is a source of truth, it's not the only word from God. The inner voice is also a word from God. Mm-hmm. So that has a huge impact on how Quakerism develops over the years. In fact, actually, that particular point. Later, George Fox would would never support the abandonment of Christ or the story of Jesus, but Quakerism in later centuries came to actually um, unidentify itself in many parts of the world with Christianity. Hmm. So um, on the East Coast of the United States, to be a Quaker is is to actually, for the most part, be a non-religious person. No kidding. You're non-religious, but you're very um, perhaps spiritually minded and contemplatively socially active. And and the quaking part was so, yeah. people filled with the spirit. Right? So, sort in of his view. Yeah. It's sort of that's sort of a misnomer. But 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 around this time, he's preaching these things, and uh, around ni- uh, 1647, he starts preaching these things publicly and attracts huge crowds to fields and marketplaces. Hmm. And these people start calling themselves the children of the light. And then they call themselves friends of the truth and eventually friends, which Hmm. is where we get the society of friends, which still exists today. Right. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, and these friends uh, are, that's what they call themselves. But one judge who's starting to investigate these people for heresy, um, uh, the one judge refers to them as Quakers because George Fox encouraged his people to quake and tremble before the Lord. Okay. And so he he kind of negatively refers to them as Quakers, and they sort of pick it up as a badge of honor. We're the Quakers. We tremble before the Lord. Hmm. Um, so there is a lot of persecution, though, from judges and other people because um, the acts of uniformity... The Act of Uniformity in 1558 demanded all these sort of, basically all religious practice and belief had to be in line with the Church of England, including prayer had to be dictated by the Book of Common Prayer. Mm. So um, anything outside of the rituals and rites of the Church of England was really not just frowned upon, but became illegal. So So in in conversation... Yeah. Uh, if you said you didn't believe something that's a key tenet of the Church of England, you could go to jail. Uh, really? Wow. Yeah. So George Fox himself was imprisoned seven times in horrendous conditions. He describes one time wow. in one place where human excrement was up was piled up on the floor so much that was they were standing in it over their shoes. Ugh. Yeah, and and just horrendous conditions, and uh, so so he's imprisoned several times. Um, and this judge, you know, refers to them as Quakers in one of these trials. Um, and it's estimated that in the 17th century that approximately 12,000 Quakers were imprisoned for their beliefs and up to about 300 of them died in captivity because mm. of the horrendousness of the conditions. But the crazy thing is Fox begins to get noticed and actually kind of respected by people in seats of power. So he really? had several meetings in 1655 and 1656 with Oliver Cromwell, who really? at that time was leading the uh, parliamentary forces in England yeah. and uh, really a leader in not only the military events that were happening, but in the politics and the religious life. And he was he was imprisoning and yeah. executing people, yeah. uh, Catholics and so forth. Yeah, so Fox mm. petitioned him to help That's ease the persecution, move. right? He petitioned him to help ease the persecutions against the Quakers. And in their second meeting, Fox encouraged him to, quote, lay down his crown at the feet of Christ. And by all accounts, Oliver Cromwell 
declined. <laughs> was mm. like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I really mm. find you interesting. And mm. apparently, they like he he told Fox, I'd love to keep talking with you. Come back and let's have a discourse on. Really? Uh, yeah. If you really found him, really respected him. The last time they met together, Fox said he could read that. Um, the, you know that. He looked like a corpse, basically. Oliver Cromwell looked like a corpse. He could, he said mm. he said I could read death on his face, and and Oliver Cromwell was very soon after their meeting uh, he died. Um, wow. But um, thanks to people like Oliver Cromwell, but you know Oliver Cromwell is quite complicated. Um, mm. But um, thanks to a lot of people who started to change England's religious wars and intolerance um, the Quaker the the uh, persecution of Quakers started to ease up a little bit, just a little bit. In the second half of the 17th century, in 1669, Fox married Margaret Fell, who was 10 years older than him and had eight children. She was a widow, but she was brilliant with organizing and she became a great organizer of the movement. And it's in large part because of her that we don't just have, you know, the teachings of George Fox, but we actually have a Quaker church that survives today because she organized the movement in a way that he wasn't doing. Mm -hmm. So she was pretty soon after their wedding, she was imprisoned. Uh, for heresy. And during that time, Fox became so ill and depressed by what was going on that he lost his sight. Oh, my word. For a time. Yeah, he was uh. blind. Uh, and then uh, eventually she was released in 1671, uh, a couple years later, by a royal decree. The king now is intervening and saying, stop harassing these people so so huh. harshly. Huh. So, um, so he, uh, she's released in 1671. Fox is doing better. And so in 1671, he travels to America, to the colonies, mm-hmm. where m- there's many Quakers who had already fled there to flee the persecutions. You know, like Philadelphia is a Quaker-founded city, yep. and a Quaker city at the time. And he really mm-hmm. is impressed by the William attitudes. Penn. I'm sorry. William Penn was a yep. Quaker. William, William Penn. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's really impressed by the attitudes of the American Quakers and their their love for each other and to, for their neighbors. But he is pretty outspoken and troubled by their attitude towards Native Americans and African slaves. Huh. Um, by all accounts, he never comes across any African slaves, but he does come across some Native Americans, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, he speaks pretty harshly against both of those practices of, of um, sort of uh, persecution of both those groups. Yeah, and uh, uh, he returns to England um, and in, uh, continues, you know, building up the movement in England. And in 1689, the the persecution of Quakers has sort of died away. Uh, not, not totally, but it's less intense. Um, and then in 1689, the Act of Toleration put it an official end to persecution, but it also marked the decline of Quakers as as a, a, a sort of a societal influence in England. Um, they became more and more a sort of uh, a fringe movement that people were content to just uh, let you know live and let live. And mm-hmm. you get the sense that with a, a movement that's based on dissenting. Right, right. We, we don't agree with that. We don't agree with that. We don't agree with that. Then, yeah. when the dissent, then the people you're dissenting from say, "Well, okay," <laughs> <laughs> then you kind of you kind of lose prominence a little bit. You're kind of it's like, "Well, now now we're not quite as central anymore." Yeah. Um, Fox himself lived until 16, so he lived to see the Act of Toleration. That was a huge huge moment for his movement. Mm. And then uh, in 1690, the end of 1690 or or the beginning of 1691, he dies. And um, his journals are published by a friend four years after his death. And oh, wow. that's when his writing really sort of takes off and becomes proliferated around the world. His, his journals, George Fox's journals, are the primary uh, legacy that we have from him. I got a 100-year-old copy right up there on my 
old bookshelf. Wow. I have to admit I haven't read it yet, but well, it's uh, a it's a classic. Yeah, it's a it's a classic of of especially um, Protestant contemplativism. Can mm-hmm. you say that contemplativism? Um, and the thing about George Fox is, 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 uh, his, the movement of Quakerism, um, did some remarkable things in the world after his death. It was central. Like, it's hard to overstate how central Quakers were in ending the slave trade in England mm-hmm. and eventually abolishing slavery in the United States. Yeah. They were hugely, uh, involved in the, um, the Underground Railroad. To oh, this, wow. Didn't this, know that. Yeah. To this day, Quakers are, um, they, they follow pacifism just like um, George Fox taught. He said uh, he said famously when Oliver Cromwell tried to get him to take up arms or mm. tried to confirm, like, you're not going to take up arms on, on your own side, right? Like, we don't yeah. have to worry about you militarily. And he goes, no, because you can't kill the devil by swords and guns. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he said right that, he, basically saying, like, I'm my... my uh, my fight is not against human beings, basically, is what he was saying. Wow. Um, to this day, Quakers um, are, are famous for protesting wars, for being involved in the efforts of peacemaking and reconciliation, mm-hmm. and um, sort of being part of humanitarian watchdog organizations, and for social justice causes of all kinds. In fact, um, in the 20th century in particular, Quakerism has, uh, in many parts of the world, especially the eastern United States, moved from being uh, more of a religious movement to being a uh, spiritually-minded political movement. Um, and so it's not uncommon in Quaker meeting houses in the uh, on the East Coast of the United States uh, for those to be uh, very secular places uh-huh. that are for community organizing and, huh. and uh, social justice organizing um, uh-huh. and not necessarily places of worship uh, in the same way. Okay. So th- this movement kind of has gone in many different directions in, in mm-hmm. the in the Pacific Northwest where we live um, at the university I work at. It's still very much a Christ centered Christian centric uh, movement, but mm-hmm. um, but George Fox himself, if you kind of go back to the roots, you see somebody who is just really interested in faithfully following the way of Jesus in very difficult and confusing times. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really like is that even though he had this encounter with the inner voice and the sense of God speaking to him and leading him, he uh, he wasn't infallible. He had these bouts with depression and um, confusion where he just didn't know what he was supposed to do or who he, what, who he was supposed to be and how he was supposed to respond to the events around him. and uh, But he continued to trust and to, to stay humble and to listen as closely as he could to God's Word and to that inner voice of the Spirit and to move forward uh, as best he could. And I don't agree with everything he said. I don't know yeah. that I... I haven't investigated super deeply his views of the authority of scripture but i don't know i don't know if we would agree there i also wouldn't agree he was pretty anti-trinitarian mm. he didn't really subscribe to the doctrine of the trinity and i definitely don't agree with him there yeah but um there there were a lot of things i think he uh brought up in a really disputatious time that were really helpful and about getting back to basics mm-hmm. living a simple honest and genuine faith so i really uh, you know i respect george fox mm. props to fox yeah and he, and he started a, a hipster band he started a hipster band, yeah. GF and the Q's, yeah, man, yeah, GF yeah. and the Q's. Yeah. That, that we added that, folks. That's just not real. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, is that it? That's, that's it. That's it. That's it. Why that did time? you want more? Well, I'm just wondering if it's that time. I think it might be that time, Dad. Time for books and stuff. Books and stuff. Hang on. Yeah. I have to grab my bag of oh, books here. Okay. My, my oh, bag of goodies. My bag of books. Yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. My, my bag of books, which says... George, George Fox, Fox University. University. 
but no, there's a couple a couple books I wanted to recommend. One is I only read part of this one, but it um, it was really intriguing. It was called First Among Friends: George Fox and the Creation of Quakerism. Hmm. That was a really good book that I really highly recommend. Um, and then there, this one I really enjoyed by Arthur O. Roberts: Through Flaming Sword: The Life and Legacy of George Fox. That was a really interesting book. Um, both of these written by Quakers. So um, I, I think uh, that's um, the the first among friends was H. Larry Ingle, and it's always good to read about um, the legacy of somebody um, from so, from somebody who's directly being influenced by that legacy. Um, but these people are both also very honest. They don't paint him with rose colored glasses or anything. So mm-hmm. definitely worth good. reading or checking out if you're interested mm-hmm. in Quakerism. And of course, you can always check out George Fox's journals. Yeah. I don't have anything, just a little comment. Go for it. There were a couple of presidents that were Quakers, presidents of the United States, right? That's true, yeah. And like, neither of them came to much, unfortunately. Well, Hoover did. There's Hoover Hoover did a lot of really good stuff, but yeah. mostly is remembered for like being the blamed for the Depression. Yeah. But before well, that, he was he was quite the humanitarian. Yeah. yeah. But recently, he's the people have looked at him again and given a more favorable yep. pass. And then, of course, Richard Nixon. Yep. Yep. Okay. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> he did some good stuff, too. Let's just be honest about that. Yeah, okay. but then he also, you know, did some pretty awful stuff. Yes, he did. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, it, 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 you got anything else? I think that's it. All right. So do you think it's time to say? I think it's time to uh, tell people thanks for listening to the These Days podcast and Hearing the songs of GF and the Q's here in the hipster <laughs> capital of the world, these these days studios in Portland, Oregon. Uh, righteous music is oh always going to touch your soul. So thank you for t- uh, being with us. And with that, we'll say what we always say: We'll be going now. <laughs>